Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ASCCOKC. We are moving closer and closer to the end of our series in Acts. We've been looking at God's kingdom mission for the church. The book of Acts is actually the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. It's a book about God. It's a book about God the Father and his sovereign plans for bringing salvation to the earth through his son, the resurrected Lord Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been seeing that the whole book is outlined, as Rock and Bev Bottomley shared last week, as they stood up and won a hat in the service. The whole book is outlined in Acts 1.8. And Luke recounts what Christ said there, that the gospel would advance in power from Jerusalem and Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we've watched that the last 24 chapters. Here we are in chapter 25, and it's a magnificent book that shows us what it means to be the church in the world, what it means to make disciples, what it means to continue the ministry that Jesus started that Luke shares in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke. shows the church how to plant other churches, how to multiply, and then it models for us what the church does. Things like being devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with one another, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It also shows, as we're going to see today, the fulfillment of certain prophecies that were given. If you remember, in Luke 21, Jesus prophesied to his disciples that they would stand before the Gentile leaders and kings and share the gospel and that they would share what the Holy Spirit was bringing to their mind. Well, this is an example of that happening a couple of decades later. Do you remember Jesus also prophesied at the conversion of Paul? He told him that he would suffer greatly for his name and that he would go to the Gentiles and even stand before Gentile leaders and kings and bring the gospel and testify of Jesus. So, friends, this is happening here. We're seeing the fulfillment of the prophecies of Jesus. We also saw Agabus, that prophet that shows up a few times in the book of Acts, and he also prophesied in chapter 21. He came to Paul, do you remember? And he, you, he did a prophetic action, a prophetic act, and he used a belt and tied it around himself and said, Paul, you're going to be delivered ultimately in Rome to the Gentile leaders. So the prophecy, the word of the Lord is being fulfilled. So today we're going to look at what is a second trial. Paul is going to stand on trial a second time and he's going to give his defense of himself. He's going to answer those criticisms that are lodged against him, those accusations, and then he's also going to testify as a witness of the resurrected Jesus. So we're going to read verses 1 through 2, simple outline today. Paul is going to appeal to Caesar. We're going to see this in verses 1 through 12, and then 13 to 27, 
we'll see Paul brought before more leaders, Agrippa and Bernice, in this passage. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts. And we pray as we get closer to its conclusion that you would speak to us. We pray you'd open up this passage even today in ways that we've not experienced before. Speak to us, Lord. Through your word, open our minds that we may behold wonderful things from Holy Scripture. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So let's read verses 1 through 12. And I've told you, friends, these have historically been some particularly challenging passages for me. You know, it's like Paul kind of being paraded one time after the next before these leaders. But there is revelation here. There is a word for the church contained in these verses. So that's what we're going to find. Acts 25, 1 to 12. Three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem where the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews gave him a report against Paul. They appealed to him and requested as a favor to them against Paul to have him transferred to Jerusalem. They were in fact planning an ambush to kill him along the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let those of you who have the authority come down with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, Paul, let them accuse him. After he had stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. The next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he arrived, the Jews who had gone down from Jerusalem surrounded him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Paul said in his defense, I have in no way committed an offense against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against the emperor. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, asked Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and be tried there before me on these charges? Paul said, I am appealing to the emperor's tribunal. This is where I should be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as you very well know. Now, if I'm in the wrong and have committed something for which I deserve to die, I am not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can turn me over to them. I appeal to Caesar, to the emperor. Then Festus, after he had conferred with his council, replied, You have appealed to the emperor. To the emperor you will go. Friends, this is the word of God that he has given to us. So we have a number of people that we've encountered. We encountered Felix last week. And what we're doing, what we're journeying with Dr. Luke, as he recounts this story through, is Paul is kind of making his way through the Roman hierarchy. It's like each scene takes you higher and higher into their leadership structure. And so God is using, as Jesus said, Paul to be a mouthpiece, to bring the gospel 
of the crucified, resurrected Jesus to these people. And we'll see shortly that these court settings, these situations involved hundreds and even thousands of people. So Paul is getting to be a witness for the gospel. Now the Jewish chief priest is here again. It's kind of a similar, do you see the overlap from previous chapters? There's a lot of parallelism here. These are things that we're encountering for the second time. Like at verse three, did you see it? They're planning to ambush and kill Paul again. Do you remember when that happened previously? In chapter 23, they tried that and it came to light. Well, it's come to light again here. We don't know if the Lord has spoken to Paul or someone else, but somehow they know that an ambush is set. Look at verses six and seven. This is interesting. We're seeing Festus, this leader, this governor, who's replacing Felix. Do you remember Felix was kind of a procrastinator? He was dealing with Paul, the hot potato, and he's like, I'm out. I don't want to touch this guy. I don't want to, is there something I can do? I just want to lock him up. So we left him there for a couple years. Well, now we have Festus coming in, and he's known as a much more decisive, efficient, and better leader, frankly. And so within eight to 10 days, he's saying, I'm coming to Caesarea, and I'm going to sit on the judgment seat, and Paul is going to come before me. So he's getting down to business. Now, I learned this this week. It's kind of a cool thing. Some people read a passage like this and say, how in the world did Luke know this stuff? Do you think that at all? Like, how's he getting this information? This is the ancient world. And so some critical Bible scholars, naysayers, liberal Bible scholars will say, there's no way Luke could have known this stuff. He's either kind of hearing some things and reassembling it to the best of his abilities or he's making this stuff up. And there have been some recent discoveries. There is a scholar who actually discovered 250 ancient manuscripts of court proceedings in a Roman context just like this from the first century. And you know what, friends? They're exactly like what Luke is presenting here. So it reinforces the reliability of Luke the historian and what he's doing here You have a biblical scholar laying these things out and saying, you know what? They resemble the ancient papyri here, these ancient documents. It's astounding. So the book of Acts is reliable along with the rest of Holy Scripture. Amen? Now, there's a note here. I don't know about you, but when I heard this, verses 7, 8, 9, and Paul is standing before this human leader, the word is Bema seat. He's actually coming and standing before Festus, and he's on a raised platform, probably a little bit higher than this, and Festus is sitting in a seat that was known in Roman context to be the Bema seat, B-E-M-A. And Paul had to stand before him. He came in wearing his chains, and he had to give account to Festus, the governor, for his deeds. And Paul goes on to say in his letters, using this very word picture, that every person, including him, would come and stand before the Bema seat of Christ. And so Paul is going to reflect back on this instance, this moment where he's standing before this leader and he gives account. He's able to argue his case and present his case. 
But listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 to 10. You can turn there quickly if you want. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. And he also echoes it in Romans 14, 10. And listen to what Paul says. And we know that he probably had this moment in his mind. He says, whether we are at home or away, and he's talking about being in the body or being dead, he says, we make it our aim to please him. Verse 10, for all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense or payback for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. So friends, Paul stood before the Bema seat of Festus. He was able to defend himself. This was a very weighty moment, wasn't it? Paul's life is on the line. But Paul looks past that moment into the age to come, and he says, I will stand before the great judge, the Lord of the nations, the king of history, and I will give account for every deed that I've done in my body. And then he says to the church, you will too. And then the word of God says to us sitting here today in 2023, we also will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And let me tell you, he's got better vision, he's more just, he's more powerful than Festus or any of these other human leaders. It is a very sobering thing to think. And it's a neglected teaching, isn't it? In the church, we don't hear enough that you and I and our friends and our family members, every single person will stand before Christ the Lord. We talk about it in the Apostles' Creed, don't we? He will come to judge the living and the dead. And friends, that should be something that we ponder, we think about, we dwell on, we meditate on. Now, here's what's beautiful. We know Paul's story before Christ, right? He was a demon, wasn't he? He was the terror of the church, well put. He persecuted the church. He put to death innocent people like Stephen, someone who's like some of our young adults, a young man putting his life on the line, proclaiming the gospel, and Paul had full agreement in his heart to put this guy to death. Matter of fact, he was probably in charge of that event because they all came and laid their cloaks at his feet. So he was in full agreement with doing that. He threw people into prison, put people to death. And so when he encountered Christ, through the grace of God, through his faith, he was made a new creature. So that the moment that he would come and stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it would be radically different for him than had he not met Christ. Can you see that? So now Paul will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, forgiven, made a new creature, and so he could experience what Hebrews 4 says, that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So friends, I want you to meditate on the fact You and I and everyone around you, everyone you know, all the world leaders that we see will stand before Christ. 
and they can experience him in that moment as savior, mercy giver, looking at you saying, well done. I love you. You've put your faith in me. You've lived for me. Enter in to the kingdom of God. Or you can experience him as a devastating judge. That is part of the gospel. It's part of the word of God, and we've encountered it over and over again in these recent chapters, haven't we? So, Lord, help us to live in light of that. Amen? The Jewish leaders encircle Paul. Again, it's a familiar scene here. Verses 9, 10, and 11. And they're reviving the old charges against him, aren't they? It's two years later, and they're saying, let's try again. We've got a new governor. Maybe he's susceptible. Maybe he's vulnerable. So we're going to resuscitate these charges and bring them against Paul again. And we see that they're religious charges. You've broken Jewish law. You're an unruly leader, a ringleader of the sect. They're also bringing political charges. Do you remember from last week? Breaking the Roman law. And what was it, friends, that he was doing that they alleged broke Roman law? Can you remember what he was saying about Jesus? They're not repeating it here, but what was he saying about Jesus that would have been a problem with Roman leaders? Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul was saying. He was going through Asia Minor into Europe, and he was saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. They were saying, you know what? Caesar is Lord. And so Paul was trying to articulate to them, I can serve Jesus as Lord, but I still honor the Caesar. I honor the emperor and its Nero in this situation. So thankfully, Paul saw right through this. Paul saw through the intentions and he knew that his life was on the line. And I I find it interesting that He's saying, I don't want to escape death. If I've done something wrong that violates Roman law, what is it? What do they say? Um, If I did the crime, I would do the time, even with my own life. But Paul knew that he had not broken Jewish law and he had not broken Roman law. But he began to discern in that moment it was not going to go well for him. And that is why he said, I'm not going to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, I'm not staying here in Caesarea. I'm appealing to the emperor Nero himself. I'm going to Rome. And we don't know all the details about this. We just know, according to ancient history and documents, that every Roman citizen had the opportunity to appeal to the emperor, the king of kings in the Roman Empire. And so that's what Paul did. He used that card. He pulled it out. And it's kind of like the Supreme Court. He said, I want to go and stand before the Supreme Court in Rome. And they had to acknowledge that and allow him to do that. So he says, I appeal to the Caesar and Festus. We see here, he says he's going to meet with his secret council. And they have to agree to let him do this. Now, Again, this is one of those moments this week. Hopefully you feel my pain a little bit. I'm working through this stuff, finding some good things. But I I found something interesting in this. Paul knows because Jesus has prophesied it to him. And so has Agabus. I'm going to Rome. But he's wondering, 
how am I going to get there? What does that look like? I'm in chains now. How is the Lord going to take me to Rome? God was sovereignly protecting Paul, wasn't he? We see it. God was using even these leaders, corrupt as they were, to protect him. He was in chains, yes, but he was under their custody, and he was protected from people that wanted to ambush him and kill him. You remember a few chapters ago, people, 40 of them, assassins, fasting and praying, saying we're going to kill Paul. And so he had to be kept in custody. God was using these leaders to protect him. But listen to what one person says. I just think this is beautiful. Bear with me a moment here because there's something in this, okay? Listen to this. In a sense, Paul sends himself to Rome through his own actions appealing to Roman law. It is not clear whether Paul's appeal is done for apologetic purposes to argue that Christianity should be recognized by Rome or because Paul wants to share the gospel in Rome. We don't know. But again, listen to this. We see how sometimes God's plan works in very unusual ways where our own actions can move the plan forward. You see that? So Paul is in this moment knowing he's under the sovereign care of God, the providential care of the Lord Jesus, and yet he takes a step that's going to punch his ticket to get him to Rome. So a key question that you and I can ask, God's caring for you, for me, in his sovereign plan, but are you stuck or maybe not moving because the Lord's waiting on you to do something? Is there something, you know God is leading me, he's taking me, he's directing me, but I'm stuck with inaction. I'm just, I'm not acting. And so I want to ask you, in the goodness of God's sovereignty, is there something that you can do in obedience to him? Is he waiting on you to take an action step? Now, it's not rocket science. Sometimes we get locked up in big decisions, don't we? Anybody else? So I want to propose that you use common sense. This is something Amanda and I do regularly. We did it to move back to Oklahoma over seven years ago. We went to Chick-fil-A. Catch this for how complicated and profound it was. We went to Chick-fil-A with a legal pad and we sat, we drew a line, and we said, should we move back to Oklahoma or Chicago? Let's do the pros and cons on each side. So we sat there at Chick-fil-A, never forget it, and we wrote the pros and cons of moving back to each city, spelled out what are the pluses, what are the minuses, and we were using the brains that God had given us. We weren't expecting, we weren't back home fasting and praying and expecting lightning to strike. It's like the Lord's given us brains, let's use our brains, And what are some action steps that we can take? And so we made some decisions. But I think the Lord was waiting on us. You know why? So that we would own the decision. So if you sit around and wait for a lightning bolt word, and the Lord speaks to you clearly, you know what, friends? There's no wiggle room. You've heard from him directly, and now you got to obey 100%. So I kind of like this thing where the Lord gives us some breadth in his will. Do you hear me on that? So he says, think it through. 
And I'm sure Paul was even doing this. He was like, should I appeal and go to Rome or should I stay here? He was probably in that moment doing a pros and cons list. And by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and his common sense, he goes, I'm going to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. So friends, there's practical stuff in these passages. Would you agree? We're going to skip over this really quickly. I just, I want to read it because it's the word of God. All right. I want to read it so that you can hear it. And then I want to make a couple of comments before we have ministry time. Verses 13 through 27. Is that all right? Paul's appealed to Caesar. And then let's see here what happens as he's brought before these other leaders, Agrippa and Bernice. After several days had passed, King Agrippa, another leader, higher up in the chain, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to welcome Festus, the governor. Since they were staying there several days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man here who was left in prison by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me about him and asked for a sentence against him. I told them that it was not the custom of the Romans to hand over anyone before the accused had met the accusers face to face and had been given an opportunity to make a defense against the charge. So when they met here, I lost no time. But on the next day, I took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man, Paul, to be brought. When the accuser stood up, again, he's just recounting the details. Luke knows it's important for us to hear. They did not charge him with any of the crimes that I was expecting. Instead, they had certain points of disagreement with him about their own religion and about, catch this, one of the most important parts of the passage, a certain Jesus who had died but whom Paul asserted to be alive. So he's been preaching the gospel to them, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Verse 20, since I was at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wished to go to Jerusalem and be tried on these charges. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of his imperial majesty, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to the emperor. It's going to Rome, going to stand before Caesar, Nero. Verse 22, Agrippa and said to Festus, I would like to hear the man himself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then Festus gave the order, and Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa, and all here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish community petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. Kill him. Put him to death. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And when he appealed to his imperial majesty, I decided to send him. But I have nothing definite to write to our sovereign about him. Therefore, I brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. We are trying to learn more about the public reading of Scripture. That's a whopper. That's a long passage, isn't it? So we've got to train our minds to hear it. Here's what we're going to do. 
we're going to come back to this. So I'm going to put a pin in this, and we're going to come back and look at it because there's overlap with the next chapter. So what I'm going to do is tie chapter 25, the end of it, with chapter 26, and we're going to see some really interesting things about King Agrippa and Bernice and the gospel of the crucified, resurrected Jesus that Paul is preaching at every turn. He's a gospel machine. He's wearing chains, but everywhere he goes, he is announcing the apostles' doctrine. The life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, it's powerful. Why don't we stand?